Hey friends, are you struggling to attract and retain top talent? If you're worried about recruiting and retention, consider Insperity, a leading HR provider. They'll help you improve hiring and compensation practices so you can spend more time growing your business and less time on HR. Visit Insperity.com and download their free ebook on how to build your dream team. Don't let a lack of talent hinder your success. See how Insperity provides HR that makes a difference at Insperity.com. And welcome to another episode of How to Win 2024. It's Thursday, November 9th. This is the day after the third GOP debate. I'm Jennifer Palmieri, and with me is my amazing co-host who is back, Claire. Claire, I'm very excited to have you back because now we are in it. You know, it's like we're a year out. We had big elections on Tuesday. I myself was in Michigan this week covering Gretchen Whitmer's last week of her legislative session uh, with the Democrats in charge of Michigan. They've gotten a lot done. I was in Hialeah last night at the Trump rally. Some man gave me some MAGA honey. (laughs) It's a honey bottle in shape of Donald Trump as opposed to a bear. I'll post a photo of that later. Uh, You were all over the GOP debate. It's just like a, a lot to get to. Yeah, you know, Santa Claus is coming to town, but so are the Iowa caucuses. I mean, I don't think people realize how quickly this is all going to gin up. And listen, yeah. I missed you too. Um, well, I got to be honest. Did it you, was Claire? A really nice, it was a really <laughs> nice little break. <laughs> to be away from all of the chaos that is our country's politics and our country's engagement right now around the world uh, was a nice little respite. But I'm glad to be back. The debate last night, uh, that was really something. Well, wait, let me reword that. You know what that debate was last night? It was really nothing. It was just nothing. Um, we can, we'll talk a little bit about that. Yeah, it was kind of bullshit. It's just like, what are we even doing? Yeah. But, but the most important thing that I think we will get to today is uh, the incredible um, election victories that Democrats had this week, right on top of the ultimate bedwetting poll that came out last weekend. So it's all good. Yeah, we'll cover all of that. But then also, this all came the same week that Trump and his family finished up their testimony in the New York civil fraud trial, which I've almost forgotten about. Like it's Thursday. That all that happened on Monday. Ivanka was on the stand yesterday. So we'll get into all of that, too, and what that means for 2024 as Donald Trump's reputation as a very successful businessman takes a hit. Yeah, and we have a really special guest today. I'm thrilled that my dear friend, Tim Kaine from Virginia, is going to join us today. Senator Kaine is going to give us a a glimpse behind the curtain on how to win in 2024 by telling us how they won on Tuesday night in Virginia. And I think um, we all need to learn lessons from what happened on Tuesday night. And also, we're going to talk a little bit about his race next year and how he's going to help hold on to that razor-thin majority that the Democrats still enjoy in the Senate. Okay, so let's dive in. Who's your winner this week? Abortion rights. Um, I don't think it's even close. And I tell you, one of the things I think is important to point out about this, I think we spent a lot of time on Ohio and a lot of time talking about the states where there have been issues on the ballot that specifically addressed abortion. That wasn't what was so important on Tuesday night. What was so important on Tuesday night was the transference of that issue to benefit candidates. Because that's about how to win 2024. It's how do we have a winning message to allow Americans to reject 
the choice of Donald Trump and the MAGA extremists and embrace the normalcy and the steady hand and the competence of the Biden team. And when you look at Andy Brashear and what he did and the discipline he had around messaging, particularly, and this is one thing I think yeah. it's really important. Some of the advocates for women's reproductive health get angry sometimes or frustrated that some of us talk so much about the rape and incest exceptions. But there's a reason. And the reason is 80% of Americans support those. And that's what Governor Bashir did, as I was saying. That was his whole thing, was that issue and the powerful ad he ran by uh, the young woman who had been raped by her stepfather when she was 12 right. years old. And I think if if we will stay on the part of this message that appeals so fundamentally to such a broad swath of Americans, uh, that's how we win in 2024. And um, I think both he and in Virginia, which we'll talk to Tim about, uh, there was some real discipline of message around this issue. And it won, not just the issue on the ballot in Ohio. And just to recap what happened in Ohio, the voters approved the constitutional amendment to ensure abortion access. Uh, Andy Bashir, the Democrat in Kentucky, won. And months ago, he had been rejected to win. But then this Trump endorsed candidate that people thought was really the guy that Trump wanted. This is really the guy that Republicans wanted. This was the good candidate. But this was not a crazy MAGA guy, but somebody they actually thought could win. Uh, Andy Bashir beat him by five points, which is such a landslide in a state like Kentucky. And then, of course, you had the uh, Virginia races where... The Republican governor wanted to try to take back the Senate. And instead, the Democrats held on to the Senate and flipped the House. And I think that what I think is so important for 2024 about Virginia is Yunkin tried the supposedly moderated position of endorsing a 15-week ban. And his candidates ran that they would pass that in the Republican-controlled Virginia legislature. And it just got rejected so Handily, And I saw when I was at this Hialeah rally last night for Trump and talked to his uh, staff afterwards, they do not know what to do. Like, they just don't know what to do about abortion. I was like, so what happened in Kentucky, y'all? What happened in Virginia? This seems like a pretty tough situation for you with abortion. And they acknowledged that there needs to be a more moderate position. It's like your more supposedly moderate position got trounced in Virginia. So what are you going to do now? And they really... They really don't have an answer. You know, he's the guy that overturned Roe. He's the guy that overturned Roe. And what I think is so important about this for 2024, too, is that it showed even when people are, are concerned about the economy and don't favor Democrats on the economy, they will turn out on an issue other than the economy and vote for Democrats because of it. Right. So abortion, in this case, we think we think that's what it's about. We don't really know for sure until you see more exit poll data. But, you know, whether that's democracy, abortion, concerns about that, they are turning out in big numbers and they're turning out for reasons other than just the economy. You know, that's what I felt like, OK, we're still where we were in the midterms of 2022. People are paying yep. attention and they're worried. Yep. So the loser. Uh, let's talk yeah. quickly a little bit about the loser this week. The winner was abortion rights for women in this country. Uh, what about the loser? I think the coverage of the Trump trial, of Trump's testimony on Monday at the civil trial in New York about his businesses. And their team is reportedly loving the headlines they got from the testimony, which were things like Trump clashes with judge, Trump fights back. And I think the lesson here for reporters is do not characterize what he is doing or says, just report it straight up, right? Because if you report straight up what he says in rallies, as I saw last night, 
He's unhinged. He's a little crazy. He can't get his facts right. You start wondering about his mental faculties. When he was on the stand on Monday, he seemed to think that he had been president in 2021. And when you characterize it like clashes with the judge, that is what he wants. He wants that fight. And I know when I talked to his supporters last night, the trials just resonate so much with everyone I spoke to for different reasons. One woman was like, it makes him more relatable. Another person from Colombia said, you know, in South America, we have seen leaders be treated like this, where, where their opponents go after them. You know, we see that in authoritarian countries. We don't like that. We, we reject that. We don't want to see that here. And I talked to his team too. You know, they are planning on using the trials as part of their campaign. It's part of their campaign strategy. It's going to happen. The first trial, the Jan 6 trial starts the day before Super Tuesday. And if you try to characterize what he's doing as opposed to report it straight up, you are falling into the trap of what he wants, the kind of fight that he wants to have with the media. And, and the media has got to be a little more fair about his shortcomings physically, mentally. Yeah. You know, yes, Joe Biden is 80. Well, Donald Trump is 77. Come on. You know, they're both old and they're both unpopular. So now let's focus in on the contrast between the two and let's be fair and not spend so much time on Joe Biden and the hit, the perception that somehow he is too old to do a job that he's doing very, very well at um, and focus a little bit more on how crazy town uh, Donald Trump is. I mean, he is deranged. He is unhinged. He's got a personality disorder. He says things that are crazy out of step with American values. So let's hope they get better. Trump had a whole riff last night of pointing out leaders who are over 80 that were doing a great job. <laughs> he had this whole thing pointing out business leaders. This person's over 80 and that person's over 80. He's here tonight. Look how great he is. Age isn't Biden's problem. It's that he's incompetent. So he's obviously defensive about being hit for being almost 80 himself. So that was very interesting. He's fat and old. He's fat and old. <laughs> This is what we have missed. Bradley Whitford tried to imitate Claire McCaskill. He couldn't quite pull it off. This is what we've missed. All right, we have to take a quick break. But when we come back, Virginia Senator Tim Kaine is here to talk Election Day wins and his own re-election efforts for 2024. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Another state that saw a huge Democratic gain on Tuesday was Virginia, where the party took back full control of the General Assembly after two years of divided power. And I am thrilled to welcome my dear friend and somebody who has Missouri roots and who plays a mean harmonica. And really, I don't know that this is something that people realize he really is if not the nicest guy, one of the nicest guys in the United States Senate. Everything you think about how awful some of them are, do 180. And that's where you're flying Tim Kaine. He works hard. He doesn't have sharp elbows. He's kind to everyone, including those he disagrees with. Welcome, Tim. And thank you so much for joining us today. Claire, I'm really happy to be on with you. And I acknowledge our Kansas City roots. We're both Mizzou Tigers. And I am in good spirits on a Thursday morning after a great election in Virginia Tuesday night. Okay, so tell us what happened. I mean, we need to know stuff that gets glossed over. We need to know what about Tuesday night surprised you 
What was the most frustrating part about you working to try to counter what Youngkin was trying to do in your state? Give us some of the the behind the scenes stuff. Yeah, Claire. So I think, you know, most of your folks understand that Virginia has these off-year elections. Every member of the state legislature. Hey, friends, are you struggling to attract and retain top talent? If you're worried about recruiting and retention, consider Insperity, a leading HR provider. They'll help you improve hiring and compensation practices so you can spend more time growing your business and less time on HR. Visit Insperity.com and download their free ebook on how to build your dream team. Don't let a lack of talent hinder your success. See how Insperity provides HR that makes a difference at Insperity.com. For all 140, and we had a Democratic Senate in a narrow Republican House and a governor, Glenn Youngkin, with national ambitions, who was throwing everything at trying to flip both houses red. I mean, he had unlimited money of his own and unlimited money flooding in from outside. So it was a real hand-to-hand combat. I did 50 events for candidates over the last few months. And I would say the dominating factors First was Youngkin's money. I mean, it was just unparalleled the amount of money he put in. Second, Democrats did a good job in candidate recruitment. But then here's what it came down to. The issue of abortion and reproductive rights that you saw in Ohio, that you saw in Kentucky, that you've seen in so many other states was enormously powerful here. And I think the Republicans have kind of felt like, well, yeah, people were mad in the aftermath of Dobbs, but that will wear off. And the answer is no way. It's not wearing off. Governor Youngkin did an unusual thing. Instead of just playing defense and trying to change the subject, he went on offense with ads that are more like presidential campaign ads where he said the Republican position is we want a 15-week abortion ban. And he would do those ads without legislative candidates in it. It was more of a Glenn Youngkin ad than a legislative candidate ad. But he thought, okay, this is a, quote, reasonable position that Virginians will like. Well, look, Virginia is the only state in the South that hasn't abandoned Roe versus Wade. A woman can still make her own choices about pregnancies through the second trimester. But Virginians overwhelmingly rejected that. And then the second factor that was huge was Republican dysfunction. This matters more in Virginia than elsewhere because we're so connected to the federal government. But when you look at pro-shutdown, pro-default, pro-blockade of military nominations, Virginians see that and say, these guys are scary. And that's what helped us eke out narrow wins in both houses. So, Tim, was there any parts of Virginia that surprised you? Was it that Democrats did better in the suburbs and not the rural areas, or was this sort of advantage for Democrats across the board? Jen, you know Virginia pretty well from your work on national campaigns. And Mm -hmm. frankly, the map that I won the governorship on in 2005, which was an unusual map then, is now the normal map. And it's suburbs, suburbs, suburbs. Cities vote strong for Democrats. Rural areas vote strong for Republicans. And the suburbs, which had been Republican leaning through 2005, have increasingly moved Democrats way. Glenn Youngkin did a good job of appealing to suburban voters when he won the governorship in 2021 for a variety of reasons. But suburban voters snapped back strong for Democrats. So kind of outer D.C., you know, Prince William Loudoun, Virginia Beach, Chesapeake, Henrico County around Virginia, these suburban communities, which was really the heart of Republicanism in Virginia for a very long time, continue to be really strong places uh, for Democrats. And look, the support for Roe versus Wade is strong in rural Virginia, too. But even that tends not to be able to overcome the kind of strong Republican lean of these gerrymandered districts in rural Virginia. 
So talk about resources. Can you give us some kind of ballpark number as to what was spent on each side on this? I know I watched you and Mark Warner and I heard from our fellow friends in Washington and even some people in the White House that you guys were not shy about picking up the phone and saying, hey, hello, we have a crisis here in Virginia. We are getting flooded with Yunkin money. Talk about a little bit what actually was spent on both sides on this deal. Claire, that's still coming in, but you're right. We reached out to the White House in March and we said, look, these races are critically important. If the Republicans get a trifecta, the first thing they're going to do tied with an abortion ban is roll back early voting. We have 45 days of Mm -hmm. early voting in Virginia starting September 22, and it maximizes participation. And the Republicans made plain they wanted to roll that back. And I said, that's going to hurt Joe Biden in Virginia in 2024, and it'll hurt yours truly. I'm going to be up in 2024. So we had to make that case. And the White House was frankly slow to wake up to it. But Jen O'Malley Dillon at the White House is a shrewd operator and she's going to crunch numbers and check things out. And eventually she and the White House team said, you know what, you're right. The vice president came in to do work. The president came in to do a fundraiser. They chipped in significantly. I think the DNC ended up putting somewhere between a million and a half and two million dollars in at the end. And national donors, once they saw what Glenn Youngkin was doing, they flooded it as well. I still think we probably the Youngkin machine put in more money than ours, but our candidates did a good job of raising money. And uh, they probably outraised their Republican opponents who were kind of just thinking that the governor would bail them out. So the combination of the DNC outside groups plus our candidates really working hard, that meant we were competitive. But the total price tag, we don't know yet. It's going to be massive. Many people spent more money to win a House of Delegates race than I spent to win a statewide race for lieutenant governor not that long ago. So that just tells you how expensive these races are getting. Yeah, I uh, thank you for all of that. Uh, I'm really interested. I don't think everyone in America realizes how deeply steeped you are in foreign policy and particularly how hard you have worked around the issue of the United States use of force and authorization for the use of force and fighting hard for many, many years to finally get something through that does the right balance in terms of authorization of the use of force around the world. Last night, there was a Republican debate. I don't know if you had a chance to see it, but I did not. Well, Jen and I would both like your take on what is going on in the Republican Party as it relates to foreign policy, as we look at Ukraine, particularly, and as we look at what's happening in Gaza. Well, well, Claire, I think what you're seeing on the Republican Party is a split that's been in, in the American domain since 1776 or maybe 1787 between isolationists and those who believe that American leadership in the world really is important. You know, Donald Trump, isolationist, he is willing to get abandoned NATO and Ukraine would have to face off against Russia on its own. And he's praising Hezbollah, for God's sake. But that's not all the Republicans. People like Mike Pence and Nikki Haley might be a little more traditional on the Republican side that the U.S. has got to play a global leadership role. And you're seeing it play out here in Congress. We're working right now on a supplemental aid package to support Israel big humanitarian aid to Gazans, support Ukraine. And on the Ukraine piece of it, we're going to have a lot of Republicans who are basically saying, Ukraine, we don't mind 
backing out of Ukraine and letting Vladimir Putin just do whatever he wants. The good news is there's still sufficient votes in both chambers to support Ukraine, but we're going to have to maneuver around some procedural roadblocks to make that happen. What about your re-election 2024? So we just had the last sets of elections before the yep. presidential election in 2024, before your re-election in 2024. What, what's your big takeaway from Tuesday? And what, what do you think the lessons for Biden are, as well as your own, what you're, how you're yeah. thinking about your own race now? My campaign manager, Corinne Charles Dungo, and my chief of staff, Mike, they're pouring through the data, and we did get a lot of data. I have more opponents than anyone running for the United States Senate in 2024. I have nine declared Republican opponents, and I may end up with more. The filing deadline isn't till March, but all nine of them are, are running against me, and they're all competing to win the MAGA vote, which means they're going farther and farther and farther right. Every news show they appear on, every tweet they put out, they're going okay. farther and farther and farther right. But I'll tell you what I I'm learning in terms of my own race is the success of Biden and especially the 117th Congress infrastructure bill. I go everywhere around the Commonwealth and sell a bridge, a port improvement, an airport improvement, a rail line, a rail to trail. I have things to sell because of an infrastructure bill that has a fresh tranche of projects every year for seven years. Manufacturing bill. Virginia is killing it in terms of job attraction right now. Inflation Reduction Act that has incentives for clean energy. Virginia's moving ahead on offshore wind and we're moving ahead on solar deployment. So even though Governor Youngkin's not going to have a favorable legislature to work with, he's going to be able to cut a lot of ribbons because of Joe <laughs> Biden and Democrats in Congress passing bills that are putting incentives and dollars into Virginia. And I'm going to be selling those too as part of my election next year. It's really great not just to talk about what the other side's bad at, but to be able to deliver results. And that's what we're doing. And that's what Joe Biden needs to do to be reelected. So let's remind everyone who is kind enough to listen to our podcast that Virginia has a Senate race next year. There's going to be a lot of attention on some of the states where they haven't had a successful Democratic election in a while. And we can't forget our friend Tim Kaine. <laughs> OK, last question for you, because I know you've got things to do. It's a Thursday and lots of things you know happen it. on Thursday mornings in the Senate. Yep. So let me ask you this last question. What do you predict in terms of government shutdown? Should I put money on the dysfunction of the House and the government yeah. shutting down? Or do you think there'll be a way forward? Claire, I got a bill passed during the last shutdown that guarantees all federal employees get back pay in any shutdown. So once you've guaranteed that you're going to write everybody a check, why would you lock them out of their office and tell them that they can't answer the constituent phone calls. That's not a guarantee against a shutdown, but it's a pretty big guardrail against shutdown. So I still think we won't have a shutdown, but I do think the year-end budget negotiation is going to be brutal. And the question is budget or CR. I think that's the real tough battle that we're going to work on between now and Christmas. All right. Well, I hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving with your family yes. and tell all my friends I miss them. I don't miss the grind, but I miss <laughs> my friends. And of course, I'm so lucky to count you as one of them. Thanks, Tim, so, Thanks much, so much for being Claire. there. Thanks, Tim. Yeah. Love so you. See, see you, Jen. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. After the break, Jen and I will be shining our spotlight on House Republicans, why they can't seem to be bothered to do their jobs, and also that Republican debate that means absolutely squat. We'll be right back. <laughs> Hey friends, are you struggling to attract and retain top talent? If you're worried about recruiting and retention, consider Insperity, a leading HR provider. They'll help you improve hiring and compensation practices so you can spend more time growing your business and less time on HR. 
Visit Insperity.com and download their free ebook on how to build your dream team. Don't let a lack of talent hinder your success. See how Insperity provides HR that makes a difference at Insperity.com. Welcome back. For our spotlight segment, we're going to cover the debate last night and then also how House Republicans are failing to fulfill their basic responsibilities. And also, you know, Claire, one other thing from the election night, though, before we talk about the debate, it wasn't just Virginia and Kentucky and then Ohio, like where the Democratic position won. In New Jersey, where abortion wasn't really an issue in the New Jersey legislative elections, they have off your elections like Virginia. And the Democrats there picked up five seats in the House and a Senate seat. In a midterm election with a Democratic governor, Phil Murphy, that is not what is supposed to happen. So there's evidence that even when abortion wasn't on the ballot or center stage, there is still a strong resistance to MAGA Republicans and it's having an impact on the ballot box. So that seemed like important to note for 2024 that the same kind of dynamic that we saw in 22, where people are just turning out and defying midterm expectations, that is continuing to happen. So I just wanted to note that too. But you were watching the debate closely while I was at the Trump rally. So give me your take. Yeah, hot takeaways from the debate. Number one, Tim Scott is trying to go for the evangelical vote. And by the way, the overall take is none of them are paying attention to what's happened Tuesday night. They are still in the ultra MAGA lane. They are still trying to go for those extreme positions. All of them, uh, while they won't campaign against Trump, I don't know how you beat somebody without campaigning against him. It's a weird thing. There's two things that are weird in this Republican primary. One is none of the people running against Donald Trump will say his name and try to even contrast. I mean, they did barely around the edges last night. And yeah. two, it's the first time I think in our history that somebody is trying out the campaign strategy of I'm going to try to be the biggest jerk I can and win an election. I've never seen this before. This Vivek Ramaswamy, he, he has decided if I am really a jerk and I would use a worse word that starts with A and ends with E, I just, I watch it and I'm just in shock at how unlikable this guy is. From the moment he opens his mouth to the moment the TV goes off, he is one unlikable dude. So that was my hot takeaway. I don't think it made any difference. I don't think it... I I mean, like going after Kristen Welker and then what did he call Nikki Haley? Dick Cheney in three-inch heels. Good for her coming back with the five-inch heels. It was not surprised you, Claire, to learn that Vivek Ramaswamy was the only person that Trump had anything nice to say about last night. He doesn't refer to any of them by name at his rally. He said there was a debate going on. I'm here in front of tens of thousands of cheering people, as you might well imagine. There were not tens of thousands of people in Hialeah last night. It was a 5,000-person venue. It was, like, almost full. I mean, not to discount the 5,000 people that were there, because no Republican candidate could get that kind of crowd, right? None of them could get anything close to that kind of crowd. Um, but, he, you know, he took on Rhonda Sanctimonious. He will not mention Nikki Haley by name. He calls her bird brain. 
and talks about how she said she would never run against him and what a great president he was. And now she will. And, and then he said, but there is one who talks about how I was the best president in generations, the greatest president. And we like him, but like we like the original better. Right. And they do. You know, everyone I talk to, people don't even know that there is a debate last night. It was interesting, though, because Trump's staff is very careful to not make it seem as if they think they have the primary in the bag, right? Like they had a sort of pseudo fake spin room after his speech. (laughs) They had a spin room at the Trump event for the debate he didn't participate in. And his staff came out to spin the debate. And it was interesting, like even the staff did not feel the need to address the debate, take on his opponents at all. Right. They, They just felt like they could dismiss them. But they wanted to make sure that we knew he was campaigning in Iowa when he was going to go back to Iowa, that he's taking this all really seriously. He's going to fight for the nomination. And they did know that he would debate uh, Biden. So at least at the staff level, they want some semblance of like, we understand we still have to like work for this. But even Trump's staff doesn't feel the need to attack any of the opponents because they're not any kind of threat. But let's talk about also the new House Speaker, Mike Johnson, and the priority that he is putting on uh, governing. Or not. Yeah. First of all, people need to realize that he is the poster child for MAGA extremism. The things he has said in his career about gay marriage, about abortion rights. He thinks anybody who performs an abortion should have to do hard labor. He doesn't want to just put doctors in prison. He wants them to perform hard labor. And no exceptions for rape or incest. He is really, really extreme. And the Republicans put him in office unanimously. So now he's having trouble doing the basics. I mean, the one thing you're supposed to do in Congress is fund the government. They can't figure out how to do that. Meanwhile, they're wasting a lot of time on the hundred. Biden stuff and and censuring the only Palestinian member of Congress. It is really uh, sad, frankly, that they are so bad at what they're supposed to be doing. It will be interesting to see how he maneuvers over the next few months. And America is going to get very familiar with how extreme he is. He may be sweet looking and have a nice (laughs) smile, but underneath there, there are positions that will make people afraid that he is in that position of power. And as we saw on Tuesday, people are paying attention. And it's not just Trump that they're paying attention to. They're paying attention to other Republican candidates, what their views are, how they're connected to MAGA. And, you know, so Speaker Mike Johnson is going to end up being a pretty big figure in the 2024 House elections. Friends. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back next week with much more. If you have a question for us, you might want to ask me about seeing Stevie Nicks in Detroit on Tuesday night, for example, after I spent the day with Gretchen Whitmore. Paid too much money for tickets, but like maybe you want to ask about that. Uh, you can send your questions to howtowinquestions at NBCUNI.com or you can leave us a voicemail at 646 974 4194 and we might answer it on the pod. The senior producer for this show is Alicia Conley. Jessica Schrecker and Ivy Green are segment producers. Bryson Barnes is the head of audio production. Bob Mallory and Katherine Anderson are our audio engineers. Aisha Turner is the executive producer for MSNBC Audio. And Rebecca Cutler is the senior vice president for content strategy at MSNBC. Search for How to Win 2024 wherever you get your podcasts and follow the series.
Hey friends, are you struggling to attract and retain top talent? If you're worried about recruiting and retention, consider Insperity, a leading HR provider. They'll help you improve hiring and compensation practices so you can spend more time growing your business and less time on HR. Visit Insperity.com and download their free ebook on how to build your dream team. Don't let a lack of talent hinder your success. See how Insperity provides HR that makes a difference at Insperity.com.